So we're testing. We're testing one, two, three. We're testing the waters. The waters. We're testing water. ourselves. Yeah. We're, we're testing the limits of the podcasting medium. Yeah. Medium, yeah. Medium. medium, medium, medium. We will go where no podcaster has gone before. Where no podcaster has dared go before. You want us to do one underwater? You got it. <laughs> we'll do that. In space, the vacuum of space, we'll do it. <laughs> anywhere we don't care we don't care it might not be great in space just because there's no air to actually like carry the audio waves even yeah. to the microphone for you but we'll do it you know yeah it's okay uh i'm i'll do it i'll do it for the gram we'll do it for the gram we'll be dead probably i don't know how long our bodies will survive ben, yeah do it for the gram do it for the gram. we're not worried about the consequences yeah. we're all about getting that instagram heart react for the gram for the gram perfect for the longest time i had no idea what do it for the gram meant i actually thought it was like drug related did i'm still really not convinced that it, it isn't drug related do it for the gram I, i'll do anything for the gram i guess <laughs> that's how you know you're desperate right. i'm doing it for the gram here we're doing the thing friends you already know who it is you already know you already know we're too many flicks i'm ben and i'm ian and we're here to bring you some movie news some comic book movie news some trivia some netflix now and ourselves we're here to bring you ourselves we're here to bring you us tasty tasty things tasty things stranger things season three no, we're not talking about that. No, not but, this but, time around. Yeah, not this time around. No, maybe later. Maybe later. In the upside down. Yep. Yep. I mean, <laughs> anything is possible. Anything is possible. Limitless. Limitless. Okay. How about we get into this daddy-o uh, with some tasty trailers? Mmm. Tasty. Tasty. Trailer. Trailer. Mmm, that's good. That's real good. All right, E, what is the first up on the dock for Tasty Trailers? You want to you wanna take it away, Daddy-O? Absolutely. Friends, to kick things off, we're taking a look at Mulan. That's right, the live-action remake. It's slated for 2020. It's going to be directed by Nikki Caro, and it's starring Yi-Fei Lu, Jet Li, Donnie Yen, Li Gong. And that's it. I should have gone <laughs> the and before Li Gong, but here we are. Sometimes you just read quickly and you don't think fast. If you haven't seen the original animated Mulan, it's going to be a little bit different anyway, but this is the premise. A young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a male warrior in order to save her father. Woo! This thing looks beautiful. It's gorgeous, dog. It does, yeah. The, the setting, the cinematography, it looks really, really great. There's one moment in the trailer that I really like where they juxtapose the expectations of what makes this is me doing air quotation marks right. uh, a yes. good wife <laughs> yes and they juxtapose that with the traits of a good warrior i don't know i yeah, thought it was really pretty cool. sick discipline and loyalty and honor and mm -hmm. all these things and this really great movement this move this trailer was like wind it was very smooth and very like the stylized elements too were just very like graceful i think is a, a, a good word to use uh mm. Yeah. while viewing this trailer everything was popping the production design I, you know again 
whoever is in nominations for production design and our costume design look out because you got your work cut out for you off rip like amazing everything was just spot on and i'm excited i'm excited to get this darker take i think this is the best way to do a mulan movie by just completely you know going more of an historically accurate approach which is something that the original animated film was lambasted for a little bit not too much um but i think this is how and i think this is something that disney should have been doing already but with mulan i would say it is very popular but it's not one of the big big animated movie musicals that disney had come out with so they maybe feel like they have liberties to explore a little bit which i you know so movies like the hunchback of notre dame i can't wait for them to do that as well because that is a darker movie that disney did with beautiful music and this has beautiful music too but i I like the way it's going i like the direction i like what i saw in this trailer this is probably the best trailer that these disney live action movies have done what what are you thinking i agree with all of those assessments i'm just a little bit concerned with representation off camera as well as on camera i was a little bit confused by their directing choice it's exciting nikki caro has done good work in the past she's a new zealand director it just confused me why they didn't choose a director of chinese descent yeah and then also looking at the production team a lot of the production team does not appear to have any sort of southeast asian ancestry they all look kind of for lack of a better term anglo-saxon yeah no that's a that's a big problem so like now we're starting to see more representation now that has to translate to behind the screen behind the scenes as well absolutely and that's a big, yeah that's a, a great example that you just gave like hey you know you're telling this awesome beautiful asian chinese story you, you might want a director who might know that culture a little bit not saying it absolutely. necessarily has to be but it would be a great great opportunity well and i think part of what makes it not sit entirely right with me right is that there are Chinese directors and Chinese American directors that are on the scene that are trying to tell stories about people that look like them and that hail from their same heritage but they're being relegated to like an indie film sort of category just because no big studio is telling them oh we believe in your story we think your story is a good story the studios are like oh I don't think that's bankable enough that seems independent for sure and so you you, with this Mulan live action remake had an opportunity to give one of those directors many of whom have been working in the industry for decades Mm -hmm. you had an opportunity to give them the chance to tell a story about their heritage and what's more a legend that like like is part of their culture and it just seems like a real big missed opportunity and you know this is no surprise coming from disney but on some level kind of faux activism or faux representation yeah i mean it's kind of the the in, i don't think it's as bad nearly as bad but you see that faux representation for like characters like lefou and beauty and the beast like hmm you know what i mean mm-hmm. like he's called the fool right off rip and like there's a lot of issues with that this is obviously a huge step forward for them a huge step forward for the at least the disney um music animated film industry that sect of disney because we know that marvel disney uh executively produced by the great and powerful kevin feige <laughs> whose name must it. contractually be said right. once an episode in right. every movie Absolutely. podcast ever you have to like or else like the government <laughs> will come and find you disney government will come and find you and break your kneecaps yep we are actually visited by several men in uh and women in black and white right now they're who, looking at us yeah, 
very scarily. We we did we did we did, we did the name. We Thank, did you. It. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Come yeah. again. We'll see you episode twenty four. Jesus, those guys just come in. They eat your food and then they don't even like say <laughs> hi or anything. It's like anyway. Uh, yes. So Kevin Pike. <laughs> Um, it has a lot of work to do himself, but we see him taking steps as well. So with this division of Disney, the more animated adaptate, uh, live action adaptation of the animated classics, we're seeing that happen we, with, of course, what we mentioned la- previously, Ariel being black now. You know, we're also getting this beautiful Asian cast as well. But take it that one step forward. Don't ho- half-ass anything. Whole-ass everything. You know what I mean? Well, and... I, I should acknowledge, because I don't mean to diminish how cool this is that Nikki Caro is on a big film. For sure. I did a little bit of research. This is only the second time that a woman has helmed a Disney film with a budget of 100 mil or more. That's awesome. So that that, that is that is something. That's an accomplishment. That being said, that shouldn't be an accomplishment. Like, that should just be the standard. Right, you know? yeah, for sure. So Disney still has a long way to come. I think that we will get a good movie out of this. Nikki Caro has actually done a film in the past that I have haven't seen but when i read about it it reads very similar to the thematics of mulan it's called the whale rider i believe it came out ah, in 2002 I heard that was great it won a lot of awards it's about a maori girl that wants to upset her small village's patriarchal structure like she aspires to be chief so this makes sense i see the logistics behind it yeah the thematic decisions right. that are happening because yeah. that like that those i get where like they're coming from that goes right. what the fuck <laughs> Ben, do you live on a harbor? I do, actually. Yeah, actually, I do. I got a shipment of fish coming in soon, so oh, I have, we have to be done with this yeah, real you gotta, quick. You know, for a vegan, you sure eat a lot of fish. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't eat the fish, but I sell it. Like, I'm, yeah, I mean, like, sure. I'm a terrible vegan. Okay, I got you. The, yeah. You you are not, uh, you do not consume the fish, yeah. however you peddle it. Yeah, yeah, I am poor. You're an opportunistic <laughs> vegan. Yes. <laughs> They're dead already. So I'm like, all right, here you go. It's like, it's fish. Yeah, I don't care what you do with it. They're dead. That's terrible. I mean, vegans everywhere. How dare you? Ah! Calm down. These are jokes. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have to say, I, I think that I think that this story will be good. I think we're going to get a solid film out of this. I think this will be on the stronger end of Disney's live action remakes, purely because they are going so far left field from right. what the original was. Yeah, that's a brilliant move. Personally. It is. I yeah, it's a fantastic move. Ian, I will say this question for you. Shoot. Do you think, depending, well, it really depends on when they have a a solid release date. Do mm-hmm. you think the reason why they didn't give us a release date is because maybe execs and studio people are watching the movie to see if it's potentially an Oscar-worthy film? I mean, that... Or do you think maybe this film's good, but it maybe become a summer blockbuster film? See, that's I think that that's what we're going to have to wait and see. Right. Because it does read in one aspect as a blockbustery film. Right. But I could see with a solid script, some really, really good production design, and some great performances why this could be a potential oscar contender i would i would say they should just go bold and drop it around christmas of next year and that's very likely because it all it is also a film that centers around family and that's a time that we see a lot of family films come out i think i think it would be a bold move to do something like that when it is not necessarily directly tied to any sort of holiday themes or anything but it it could potentially be a smart move could be well i mean we'll see do you think we'll get a mulan too because you know there was a second 
second Mulan movie. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the original Mulan legend that they claim they're trying to follow right. follows had a sequel. I don't know. I don't know. So here's the. Th- <laughs> That's another question to propose before, and I want to move on because I don't want to like stay on this point for too long. But I Mm -hmm. I do want to get your opinion on this. Do you think they will tiptoe into the sequels of these animated movie musicals? Do you think is it marketable? Is it bankable? How do you do that? I think I think it could potentially be marketable. I think you don't do that with this one. If if you want to. So we've already sort of poked at Disney about how sometimes their message and their actions conflict. If they truly want to stay on brand with this message that they're bringing to this Mulan live action remake that, hey, we're trying to be more culturally aware and respective and reverent and we want it to stay true to the legend, you will not even bring a Mulan sequel to the to the table, even if this makes back its budget tenfold. If you want to stay true to that message, you do the film and you let it stand alone. Alone, and you respect the fact that you made one good film and that any sequel after that would just be bombastic and weird. Something like with Aladdin, I think there's a little more gray area there. For sure. Just because... I mean, really, that comes down to: Do you get Will Smith attached to the sequel? Because you're not going to do you're not going to do an Aladdin reboot in real life with Will Smith, and then pull some goofy ass shit where you get Aladdin two, but it's no longer so Will it's Smith. Kevin James. I, I oh my god, no. <laughs> Like, cause that that already unpacks a whole other can <laughs> of cultural worms and ickiness and just That's stuff that I am shit. not qualified to unpack. You know, <laughs> like I do not have the sociology degree to unpack that all. Not at all. That you, you, we'll see if they take it to the next level. But Would they, yeah, yeah Ben, we'll where does that next level lead us? It leads us to Jumanji, the next level. <laughs> <laughs> Comes out December the thirteenth. It's directed by Jake. Caston and is starring Karen Gillan, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and Danny Glover. The four players brave the jungle, desert, mountains, and dangerous animals to save the fantastical video game world of Jumanji. So we're back in the Jumanji world with a sequel of a sequel. <laughs> this is Jumanji 2, the third Jumanji. <laughs> I really wish they just titled it that. It would have been funny as hell. Yeah, that would have been a good bit to go off of. Just go in on it. like Own up to what you are. Right. The first sequel to Jumanji, The Rock's Jumanji, I guess we need to start calling it. Maybe that's The Rock's Jumanji. Is it just his Jumanji, Ben? It is. Or is it all of our Jumanjis? (laughs) Does Jumanji live in all of us? (laughs) You're right, Ian. Jumanji was my father. Jumanji was my brother. Jumanji was my mother. <laughs> I am Jumanji. No, I am Jumanji. I am Jumanji. <laughs> I am Jumanji. <laughs> but uh, the first one, the uh, the one <laughs> succeeding the Robin Williams Jumanji, was pretty fun. It was not at all as great and as nostalgic, of course, that goes without saying, as the Robin Williams Jumanji. However, it was different enough for me to disassociate the two sure while also sure. knowing it is in the same world and have a completely and fun good time unexpectedly um my wife ann and i went and we saw it and we had low expectations which is probably why we thought it was pretty decent i don't know and we were laughing our asses off uh, jack black stills the entire movie as he tends to do uh, playing a teenage uh young woman 
<laughs> it was <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Kevin Hart was Kevin Hart. He's kind of getting on my nerves, but he was fine in it. Him and, and The Rock's chemistry is always great. Sure. I could see that. That makes sense. So with that being said, this looked like a lot of fun. I legitimately laughed out loud at a lot of these jokes. Granted, there are a lot of easy jokes to tell, but they're marketing towards family. So, I, you know. I'm about to say, here's the thing. They Jumanji is not going to be your highbrow social right. deconstruction right. It's not of the late loop. stage capitalism. <laughs> right. It is truly just Jumanji. They know what this is. They, they know, know what, what it is. is. And that's important. That's important that's when art it knows what it is. When right. art doesn't try to be more than what right. it is. You have to commend that. They never take themselves seriously. And there was a pretty decent message in there too. Like I was like, okay. Well, let me ask you this because we were watching the trailer and there was one moment in particular that you were like, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. So Ben, why don't you why don't you help me unpack that? Oh uh, yeah, uh, Jack Black is playing Danny Glover. <laughs> <laughs> a oh wait is he yeah no no he's not playing Danny he's playing the um sorry no it's the younger guy yeah Kevin Hart's playing Danny Glover um Jack Black is playing a young black man um and that he's let's okay that sounds really bad yeah okay he, in the video game so the black kid in the video game Avatar is Jack Black's character there we go Jack so, Black is the Avatar he's for the young yes, African American yes, he's guy. not playing a young African American <laughs> guy I was like oh I think we need to phrase that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Black is actually playing Black Panther. It was crazy. It was a wild choice. Yeah, uh, like, don't uh, know how they came to that conclusion. Uh, no, but he seems to be playing it pretty decently. He's walking a fine line, but I'm always like, that's a bold, bold move on their part. Mm -hmm. It could get into some dicey territory. I think we have to watch it. I think it's going to come down to the writer's room. It is. I mean, do we have African-Americans in the writing room? So here's the thing. We we talked about this briefly off off mic, right. off record, where we took a look at the writer's room and you said that you were surprised at how non-offensive the first Jumanji was, right. like how well and considerate they were with all the jokes. The writer's room is pretty similar. Okay. In fact, I think at least two or three of the folks are returning from the first one. The director himself is returning from the first one. So that's Fantastic. that's that's kind of cool that we have yeah, they, a continuous team. It, it could have been really easy to dive into like some really offensive shit and they did not and i was like right. that's it shouldn't be considered bold because you shouldn't do that <laughs> right exactly but it yeah. was in, it, i was impressed because i was like that's low-hanging fruit like it's it's right there and it would be the easy way out they did not take the easy way out so that's good to know it looks like they didn't take the easy way out on this trailer as well in this new installment but you know you are you're just sticking your toe on some murky waters that's all i'm gonna say i will say this right I know for a fact two out of the four people in the writer's room are not people of color. Okay. The other two do not have headshots and okay. are not easily Googleable. Right. So luckily though, I think The Rock is so big physically and <laughs> metaphorically. And star speaking, power wise. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that I'm sure he has some sway in the script. And if it was too offensive, I'm sure he would be like, hey. And so Kevin Hart as well. That was Absolutely, yeah. So I, I imagine that if they thought Jack character was crossing the line in any way they would be like that's not something that i want to be a part of so this this is interesting one of the writers and i don't know how large a hand he had in writing these two reboots but chris van alsberg is from the first jumanji oh wow yeah well, it says that he was born in 49 so i don't know 
how long he was in the writer's room, right. if at all. If they're <laughs> yeah. just crediting him because they're like, we took his original 95 script. Right. I, I, I'm hazy on those details, but that's cool that if, if he was part of the writing process, if they approached him like, hey, we really like the original Jumanji and we're being asked to make a, a second one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. All right, well. this, this film has potential. It's going to be one of those things where we just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, we have to wait somewhere over that rainbow. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Over yeah. the rainbow and down the yellow brick road, which leads us, friends and family, to our next film. We're taking a look at this film. It's a little it's a little joint called Judy. Yeah, but uh, it's a bi- biography about Judge Judy. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, our transition made no sense. We're here yeah, to talk yeah, about yeah. Judge Judy, the stern daytime presiding honor yeah. that we all know and love. <laughs> Friends, Judy is going to come out September 27th. It's directed by Rupert Gould, and it's starring Renee Zellweger, Jesse Buckley, Finn Whitrock, and Rufus Sewell. And believe it or not, this film is not about Judge Judy, but instead the legendary performer Judy Garland and her arrival in London in the winter of 1968 to perform a series of sold-out concerts. Can we just say it now, Oscar contender for Renee Zellweger? Yeah, this is probably, that's that's why they're slotting it in late summer, fall. Right, for sure. Slot for sure. They. It, sorry, I'm drinking coffee. We need to stay awake to do this. Yeah, yeah, we're drinking Otherwise, coffee. I'll be asleep at you the wheel, motherfuckers. Cl- you might hear some clanks and some... some yep, I'm trying to, we're trying to do it off mic, but God knows sometimes you just need that zip. So, this... Release window confuses me just a little bit, just 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 a little bit, because yeah. it isn't full-fledged Oscar contender. In fact, it's like tail end of summer. It, there's a little lull there, yeah. you know. Why where not normally November. Why not November? Yeah. Why not? Be, maybe because they're concerned about other things that are releasing in November. Yeah, I, it, it's a monetary thing. Could be a monetary thing. Absolutely, like they're trying to capitalize on that pocket of non-blockbuster, non-Oscar contender, where normally it's just a bunch of, like, smaller films and horror films that are premiering. For sure. I, I don't know. It it didn't look bad. I, I will say this. It's probably one of those cases where, like, with a biopic, where the movie is okay. Sure. But the performances are phenomenal. Ray being one of those movies where Jamie Foxx was just brilliant as Ray Charles. The movie itself was good. It wasn't great. A lot of these are just vehicles for these actors. Sure, sure, and sure. And a vehicle to tell these stories in any way, shape, or form. And I don't know if Renee Zellweger has an Oscar or not, but I've never seen her so dialed in before. She's, Just, I was like, is that fucking Judy Garland or what? Like, yeah, she, no, she looked, sounded. It doesn't seem like, see, with a little known um, acting tip for those who may not be actors and don't know how the process works. So there are a few things that I love about a performance when you're performing, when you're being a person who has existed, is you're truthful, you're in the moment, and you're working off of your beats and your objectives and you also happen to have that outer and inner skin of the character that you're playing the historical person in a person's instead of an imitation those are two different things and a lot of actors get in trouble with that and sometimes that's why you see someone like um, Ashton Kutcher doing Steve Jobs not winning one because he's trying to do an imitation and not a more of a summation more of an evocation of sorts sure sure you you know what I mean like yeah I, I totally I totally get what you mean he right. may have studied the mannerisms, but just because you understand the mannerisms of a person doesn't mean that you're keyed in 
into how they're working in a scene, what they want in yep. a scene. It's that's what made Michael Fassbender is a very accomplished performer already. Yep. And that's what made his Steve Jobs a little bit, I'll even dare say, much more compelling. Right. I, 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 that's perfect example. Because you can have the outer life. Yep. You can, you know, you can do the funny things they do with their hands or the way that they move their mouth or even the way that they talk. But you have to figure out that inner life. And for those non-actors, that's where these silly terms like beats and objectives yep. and even super objectives come in. They help the performer inform how they go about living in a scene. Yep. And it looks like Renee Zellweger is doing that very, very well. Very well. And mind you, this is only like a two and a half minute clip. But every time that you see her on screen, it, it she is alive and she... It's not performative. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very subtle. I, I will say this. What if is just not a good show. <laughs> Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. It's just not. It's. Yeah. Maybe she did it for the paycheck. She may have done it for the paycheck. She may have done it just for a little bit of a, just for a little bit of, you know, presence on the TV and film landscape scene because she hadn't done a whole lot recently. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be excited about a project she's in. I concur. And I think she's one of those actors who is underrated. She, she can, she can go. You, you, mm-hmm. you let her, Absolutely. you let her be her and let her work. She can go. Um, I'm excited to see this. I, I really am i i don't know much about judy garland's life post uh the wizard of oz sure yeah i just didn't you know i but it will be fascinating to see i mean like i'm looking at pictures of judy garland right now and god damn does she look like judy garland <laughs> like I, that's actual judy garland yeah i mean and that, God, that's that's it's haunting that's it, great casting that's yeah. great makeup that's great production design on the production side of things this is gould's only only his fourth feature-length film mm. which i think is a it's pretty cool he two of those feature-length films were teleplays like he did a 2010 staging of macbeth mm. with i believe it was sir patrick stewart and then he also did i want to say henry the third i gotta oh, check okay so he he really really loves his shakespeare i think what's going to be really cool about this is that the film in particular revolves around judy garland's like one series of stage performances yeah. and since this is a director that seems very very familiar and very well versed in choreographing and staging theater we might see some really really cool numbers in this which i yeah. think is exciting you kind of saw a little bit of it in the trailer he saw little tad bits of it just when she's on stage and she's performing like you know she and pardon me i should have known this but she does have an oscar for cold mountain 2004 yeah supporting actress yeah, yeah. supporting actress still underrated <laughs> absolutely you, you yeah. have an oscar yet you're still out to me personally when i hear renee zellweger i'm like oh yeah, she, yeah that's right renee zellweger she's been in, in a ton of stuff but like i've seen her in nurse betty too nurse betty was fantastic nurse I, betty's really good it's a really it's i bought nurse betty in a bundle at walmart it was like three or it four like different movies pack. Yeah, yeah you yeah. remember that yeah, yeah. and then we that. watched nurse betty together like oh, i don't know ben it's like five dollars i was like oh this was actually fantastic it was like nurse Morgan betty Chris Rock. there was that one film with jeremy piven that was called bad friends or something where oh, they yeah. kill a sex worker in las vegas oh, and then they try to yeah. cover it up and their lives like john unraveled. favreau yeah yeah i don't know it's is Jeremy Piven's in that? He is. Jeremy, I think so, yeah. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. That's what I hear. <laughs> 
<laughs> but he was good in that. Yeah. 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 Good for him. I mean, I think he played a piece of shit, so, you know. It's easy. Typecasting, yeah. Yeah, anyway, Judy, do you think, Ian, this is, you know, it's really early in the season. season mm-hmm. Oscar season hasn't even started yet. No, not yet. But do we want to be bold here and say that she is a frontrunner right now for an Oscar nod? I think the Oscars really, really love themselves and people <laughs> that... <laughs> have been big in cinema in the past. Right. So I think this is Oscar bait. Renee Zellweger is very talented. It's really it's really going to come down to cuz regardless of Renee Zellweger's talent, film is hinges so much upon direction and editing right. and so many other facets of production. So I think I think it's a safe bet that this will get an Oscar nod, but I'm going to reserve the definitive for right now. I will say I okay, so in my case, this is my opinion. The white mm-hmm. people love Judy Garland. The Your? Academy is mostly made up of white people. White people. Uh, <laughs> they also love Renee Zellweger. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she knows a lot of those people in the Academy. So the networking opportunities and her uh, pol- politicking behind the scenes will also won't hurt her chances. Not sure. saying that her performance is not going to be good enough for her to just do it off of merit alone. Sure, but no, it, there is a level of if we want to talk about behind the scenes, yeah, blah blah blah. I I think I think it's fair to say that she is probably a front runner right now, even without seeing the fucking film. I, I, Unless I'm not going to say really you're bad. Wrong. That's the thing. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but right. that's it. It all hinges upon yeah. And the only reason that I'm not like a hard definitive sure absolutely is the release window, mm. is the pocket where they're releasing it. Yeah, because so that means they, that they, they, like yep. here's the thing: mm-hmm. the fact that this is about Judy Garland, who already has such a bankable name and bankable star power and that they didn't throw it in with other Oscar contenders, that they were worried, quote-unquote, about money or something, and that they weren't just gung-ho about, yeah, let's fucking do it. I know for a fact that a Judy Garland film will sell. The fact that they didn't think that this Judy Garland film would stand up against other possible Oscar contenders gives me room for pause. That's the only reason that I'm not a definitive, yes, absolutely, this will be Oscar nod. All right. I I like your reasons. I can't dis I can't refute any of those. I think the shit's just gonna be wild. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a wild, wild time, a rambling time. It might just be a rose of a movie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you never know. You never know. It might just need to blossom, you know. That's the thing, you know? And friends, that brings us to our next film. Wild Rose. It comes out June the twenty first. It's directed by Tom Harper. It's starring Jesse Buckley, Julie Walters, Sophia Oconedo, and James Hart. A musician from Glasgow dreams of becoming a Nashville star. Oh boy, this was talk about Oscar bait as well. Um, mm-hmm. This is already out, so I want to preface this by saying that obviously June first, twenty first. This is coming out after that. However, it's one of those smaller films we want you to go out and watch it if you have the opportunity to do so. Do it. Support indie films because I could tell you right now from the trailer alone, if we're talking about. A woman who might be headed for that Academy Award um, with Jesse Buckley. I could tell you her performance just off of the two minutes that I've seen looks phenomenal. She's she's yeah. been killing it. I saw her recently in the HBO series Chernobyl. She played a supporting character in the first few episodes called Ludmilla, who has a heartbreaking story. If you can imagine a story tied to Chernobyl no. being heartbreaking, fuck out of here. I know, right? <laughs> it wasn't just a love puppy fest. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Everyone held hands and they lived happily ever after in radiation. And they fought off the radiation right. with friendship. With and love. <laughs> 
But um, no, not only not only did she slay in Chernobyl, but you might also recognize her name from earlier in this podcast. She's in Judy as well. So this young woman is not only super talented, but she's getting work, which tells you something. And everybody is raving about her in this film. The reviews are stellar. Her voice is incredible when she sings her number at the end mm-hmm. about there being like no place like home kind of like, ooh, like you get a little bit of chills there. Yeah, this just makes me want to fulfill my dream as being the one of the first black country music stars, Charlie Pride. I want to play him in a movie one day. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, because this is awesome. She's from Ireland. Glasgow's in Ireland, correct? Or is it Scotland. Scotland, okay. Man, those accents sometimes. I it, I was like, my ear was like, is this Irish? <laughs> like, it's, it's obviously Scottish. I apologize. But I, I, I can't wait for this. Uh, how country music can inspire someone, even across the seas, or any music in general that might be maybe even American-centric, and they're like, oh, but I really love this music. It speaks to me. I, her performance looks amazing. I will go on record here and saying you probably have your two nominees for Best Actress in a Movie with Renee Zellweger and Jesse Buckley. You quote me on this. We can always go back when we have a special edition, which we will work up to, of the Oscars. By the way, let us know if you want us to do that. We might live tweet the Oscars and have a special edition while we watch the Oscars themselves here at um, in studio. And I'm going to see if I can call it. I'm, I'm gonna, Right now, from this point on, if I think I see an Oscar nod, I'm going to make my own nominations right here. I'm saying it right now. All but right. I'm, I'm jotting this down. Jot it down. Jot it down. I have two jot right now. I have two right now. Zellweger and Buckley. Zellweger and Bu- Buckley. I probably am wrong. If I'm wrong, when that time comes around, I will watch a really terrible movie and review it. <laughs> but Ian, what, what did you think about this? Because I can go on and on. Sure. I think that it looks very, very moving. We get some thematics that are appearing in a lot of work, but still ring true when they're done well. The thematics of responsibility of quote unquote the real world versus chasing your dreams the pursuit of self betterment or self enfranchisement versus your responsibility to others this Jesse Buckley plays a mother of two she's also an ex-con and she's just going full force for her dream of being a country music player and you know she rubs up against the trials of being a mother of having her own mother criticize her and essentially tell her that she is an awful person for not being there for her children but she feels like she's doing the right thing because she's trying to be a role model for her children like never give up keep going it it i i have no doubt in my mind that this is going to be an uproarious good time because first of all buckley's energy in this is so good it's like chaotic good it's it's sweet it's heartwarming she's sassy as hell she's dialed in man yeah it's so good she's just so focused you have a good team behind her as well this is really exciting for the screenwriter nicole taylor she for years has been working in uk television and this is her first feature length script and the fact that it's getting so much buzz is huge for her and then tom harper has been kind of hit or miss this is i i would say his first flying colors critical success film so that's huge for him too this this is just i think what's really cool about this is that not only is this a film that you can look at as a rising star story for one person it's for a bunch of people like they had a, a hungry team get together and they created this wonderful piece of art that's supposed to be uplifting and i think what's great is that it's about not giving up on your art and it's about chasing your dreams no matter how fantastical everyone 
around you might say that that is something yeah. that I think we all as artists can relate to. I was about to say, it's not, I think it's something that we know. <laughs> yep. This is this makes me very much envious because I'm like, oh, I just love seeing actors dialed in, and I keep saying that, but I say I'm saying it for a reason. I know we tend to use words over and over and use too much, but I, I there's no other way to to describe what I see. Just going on set, living on set. This is you. You're having the most fun. You're living in a character. You, you you're being truthful. You're every scene, every take. You're just ready to go, ready to rock. And you see that with J- Jesse Buckley's performance in this. Just watch the trailer alone. If that doesn't get you out into the theaters, I don't know what will. And I'm just telling you right here, I think she's definitely a shoe in for best act- actor, actress part. Um, and if it, not, you're going to be seeing a lot more of her. Exactly. I don't. She might not be. Again, there's a lot more movies to go out to come out soon. Um, this also is in June the 21st, which is also a very weird time for it to drop. So we'll see. And that has been Tasty Trailers. We're going to go into Flix News now. This just in. Extra, extra, read all about it. Flix News. All right, we're into Flix News, boys and girls. Ben, what's yes. first on the docket in Flix News? All right, well, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman set for August Wilson's adaptation of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. Now, in case you like, what's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Why do I care? Most likely you're not black, but <laughs> are in theater <laughs> or in theater. And I'm going to tell you a little bit what it's about. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom takes place in 1927 and fictionalizes the real-life singer Ma Rainey, known as the mother of blues, whose career spanned from 1899 to 1933. The play takes place over the course of one day in a Chicago recording studio in which Ma Rainey and her band are laying tracks for a new album. Boy, let me tell you, this is some good news. This is really good news. Very exciting. Uh, on the, the week of Juneteenth, with uh, all this lovely black excellence taking place. You got Viola Davis. You got Chadwick Boseman. I don't know what characters they're play. I imagine Viola Davis is going to play Ma Rainey. But I don't know. I, she, I would yeah, hope right. so. Oh, right. I, I hope so. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, she's just, she's not Ma Rainey. It's a made up character that they made. But uh, yeah, August Wilson, his stuff is really profound. If you haven't read any of it, please do yourself a favor. Go out to the library. Try to find something. For our friends that haven't been involved in theater or may not know about this very, very important part of theater history, mm-hmm. Ben, give us just a little brief bit about August Wilson. And who is this person and why was he so important? August Wilson's one of the most prolific black playwrights of our generation. He also emphatically said that he would only prefer black people to perform his stuff because he knew there wasn't a lot of representation to begin with. He wrote a course of several plays that takes place in uh, different decades and they're all fantastic. My favorite being King Headley. Um, a lot of people know Fences, but that's what Denzel Washington um, was nominated for. Whom, by the way, I believe will be, producing. if not producing, executive of producing this right. uh, this Netflix film adaptation along with Costanza Romero, August Wilson's widow. Wow, look at that. Uh, August Wilson has written some strong, beautiful characters, maybe not so much women, and that is a problem that he, a lot of people have with his work. However, it is still profound and it still needs to be read. Please read it. It's fantastic. Um, again, what's more, it's like, sorry, what's more, it's also some of the only theater to come out of the 80s and 90s that chronicles the African-American experience. Oh, Oh, in America yep. and does it so unabashed and so it's black as hell like it takes yep. 
if you're not used to a lot of the language that is used and how the dialects are used and how the rhythm, the rhythmic pattern of the dialogue is presented, it may take you a good 30 minutes to get on board with what they're saying and how they're saying it. If you're not familiar with the slang, the colloquialisms that they use, and also just, just the beats and the rhythm. It's a lot of beats and rhythms, a lot of monologues. It's very long pieces of work, but they're brilliant. And once you your ears tune up to what August is saying, you just can't look away. And Ma Rainey is just one of those really cool pieces that I think translates probably the best to film. And I can't wait. Viola Davis is trying to get an Oscar. And then Netflix, are, they're Oscar hungry right now. They're Academy hungry. They, they're yeah, coming they out the gate. They like, fuck you, motherfucker, like Steven Spielberg telling us we can't do stuff. <laughs> we got Viola Davis. Now, it's very interesting, though, because I, I, I thought that HBO had ties with the August Wilson cycle and that Denzel was going to do the whole cycle on HBO. Now, maybe something fell through. I don't know the inner workings, but Netflix, this is a coup. And I don't even know if Netflix realizes how big a deal this is. I think this is Viola Davis and Denzel Washington pushing for someone to green line it because I don't think white execs were like, what's what's August Wilson? Like, trust us. <laughs> Let us make you money and... <laughs> <laughs> teach these folks about black culture in a beautiful and, and loving way. And I can't wait. And anything else you want to say about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and the, the actors attached? I, I want to know who the director is. I, I really want Ryan Coogler to the direct. The director uh, is uh, George C. Wolf. George C. Wolf. Hey, I, th I think he's pretty good. I, I, I'm he's, he's actually got, George. he doesn't have a lot of film credits under his directing belt, but he is apparently a very prolific stage director, which I think is exciting. I think that's perfect that he is taking such an important piece of theater and then going to translate it to screen, which is, that's probably the best way to do it, is to find someone who is familiar with stage work and then have them work within the confines of film. He's won a Tony for some of his work, which is fantastic uh, to know. So yeah, th this, this film is in good hands. It's in good hands. It's in good hands. There's not a lot to worry about. You have the two A-listers right up front. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm ready. I have not, I don't know Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I know a good chunk of August Wilson's Century Cycle, but this is this is one of the stories that I don't know. And you tell me that it's about a jazz blues singer in 1920s Chicago, and it's set in the recording studio with all of her musicians and stuff. Uh, Yes, please. You know who would do a really good adaptation of his work? Direct, uh, Jim of the Ocean should be directed by Ava DuVernay. Oh, should it <laughs> yeah. ever? Yes. Yeah, she has that fantasy touch to it. Like, ew. Oh. oh, Jim of the Ocean's probably one of my favorites, too. So yes. good. Our listeners that aren't familiar with Jim of the Ocean, I, I don't know what to tell Look you. It it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to Read sum it. up in like a three-minute chunk. Yeah, it's just... It's brilliant. Gem of the Ocean by August Wilson. Check it out. It's worth your time. And I guarantee you, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to be a powerhouse, a huge get for Netflix. You know, Jim of the Ocean was the first theater experience for me that I like bawled. I like cried. I yes. it was so moving. I was like, I, this is why I do what I do. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, okay, on to the next bit of news. Ian, you want to go ahead and take it sure. from here? Sure, absolutely, yeah. We've got a new announcement from Disney and Pixar. They have announced Pixar's next feature film which will be called Soul. It's from the director of Inside Out, Peter Doctor, and you might know his work from the film that I just said, Inside Out. <laughs> Woo! 
But here's the thing. There's not a lot of details that are known about this new project, Soul. There's just this sort of mysterious tagline that says that Soul, which will release on June 19th of 2020, will take you on a journey from the streets of New York City to the cosmic realms to discover the answers to life's most important questions. It's a pretty dang broad tagline. There's a lot of ground to cover for a kid's movie, I gotta tell you. Yeah, it. I mean, so was Inside Out, to be honest, and it, it was handled really well. There you go, it yeah. It was. Um, yeah. Soul seems to be in good hands. Of course, what I am worried about is if it's a carbon copy of inside out well will it take place in the same world too will they have connectivity it looks like he's trying to make trying to make way for the shared connected pixar world which i could be wrong about but it kind of sounds like that it'd be the first of its kind so i mean maybe they see some market ability in this so i don't know we i think this is one of those topics where we just have to see more of certainly more about i i, I it's gonna get kind of celestial just based off of what yeah what has been announced what we've been reading Reading, I, I think that your concern that it might be a little too inside out-ish is valid, but I, I think that it's going to be more so focused on the soul. <laughs> I, I was really trying to find yeah. a way to phrase that better, but yeah. it's going to focus less on the neuroses that like compile a human's identity and or mental the, the subconscious yeah, yeah yeah less about the subconscious and more about like the essence of life it, it there's there's a second little snippet that says ever wonder where your passion your dreams and your interests come from your what? consciousness yeah exactly it's that <laughs> i don't know why that was like a door the explore moment <laughs> your consciousness <laughs> i i I, I'm excited to see just what this film shapes up to be. I hope, my hope is that it gets sort of esoteric and weird and that it sort of asks spiritual questions. It sounds like it's going to be a tearjerker, like apparently Toy Story 4, which apparently is amazing. And we were wrong. I was wrong. I didn't think we needed one, but apparently we do. And it's apparently flat out amazing. So moving on, let's uh, let's go to our next bit of Flicks news. Oscar nominee Rachel Morrison is set to make directorial debut on Flint Strong for Universal. And this is written by Barry Jenkins, who we know is an acclaimed director, and it's based off of the 2015 boxing documentary T-Rex. Now, in case you don't know what that's about, T-Rex, the documentary was a story about the 17-year-old Clarissa T-Rex Shields. Now, she's from Flint, Michigan, and she had a dream of becoming the first woman to win an Olympic gold medal in boxing, which she achieved in 2012, the Summer Olympics. And she also achieved it in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Universal acquired her life rights and rights to the documentary in 2016. Now, in case you guys aren't familiar with Morris's work, she made history last year being the first woman ever nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematographer in her work Mudbound, and she was also the first woman to shoot a Marvel Cinematic Universe film with Black Panther. So this is a big fucking deal. We need to make sure we see it. It's a woman director who's already made history in the Academy Awards. We have a man of color who is writing in and adapting the documentary. Let's give this a chance. I think it sounds great. It's a story that I would love to learn more about. Uh, this woman's awesome. She she boxed her way to a gold medal and she said she's gonna fucking do it. And she's from Flint, Michigan. This is a great positive story from Flint, Michigan. And hopefully they they might touch on the water crisis as well, which they probably will. Uh, I feel like it. if you're doing a film about a Flint resident, 
in today's this year this year that is this one you can't not you know right and you, and you got an, an academy nominated cinematographer who is now directing i mean cinematographers can direct directors i feel like more cinematographers can direct directors probably can't always switch to cinematography certainly yeah. but you already see the pictures in your head you know what you're looking for and you just have to adapt to your talking to actors which i'm sure can happen and will happen and i think this is an a plus plus what do you think Ian? Uh, i'm super stoked to see it barry jenkins is a phenomenal storyteller he did moonlight and if beale street could talk for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with the name up front so you know that if he's adapting this story it's going to be rich there's going to be a very very compelling human aspect to all of this and i'm excited i had not heard of clarissa t-rex shields so i'm excited to learn her story i had not heard of the documentary which i will have to go seek out now so hopefully that's somewhere and i can we can bring that info to you in the coming days rachel morrison getting her directorial debut that's there's there's just so much hype in this one little snippet of news this is going to be i think this is going to be a big one we we just talked about oscar contenders i think we got another one on our hands Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah, like a bomb going off. Tick, tick, boom! What's our next Flix news? Oh, no, baby, that takes us to the final piece of Netflix news. Netflix news. This is general news, but this is about Netflix. Netflix acquiring the Lin Manuel Miranda adapted version of the stage piece. Tick, tick, boom. For those of you who aren't familiar, Tick, Tick, Boom was originally a one-man show from Jonathan Larson. He is the composer and he composed the music and the book to the now, like, worldwide phenomenon that is Rent. So I know all y'all have heard his shit before, even if you think you haven't. You've heard the 25,600 minutes. 525,600 you know 500... <laughs> I knew 25,000 minutes was a low number. I was like, 25,000 ain't right, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> the story is essentially, it was performed as a one-man show way, way back when, and it just boomed in popularity, if you'll pardon the pun, in the wake of Jonathan Larson's passing. Essentially, the premise is that he's turning 30 and he is feeling unfulfilled as an artist. He's living in New York city and he's struggling he's still serving and waiting tables and he's not sure whether or not he'll ever write something good as he struggles to finish a piece that he's trying to workshop that's this weird sci-fi punk post-apocalypse 1984-esque musical that he's writing and it's all about his trials and tribulations and the relationship with his partner and his best friend who is a queer gentleman that do i spoil this 20-something, 30-something-year-old story for you? I dare I do. I yeah, think I, think I do. Yeah. His best friend, it is revealed at the one of the emotional climaxes of the film, has been diagnosed as HIV positive. And so that's where a further existential crisis sets in for John. And essentially the story is about him coping for it, or coping with it, rather. It's a good story. There's some great music. And I don't think that you could have found a better person to adapt it than Lin-Manuel Miranda. Do you think there'll be any hip-hop do you think he'll adapt it he probably won't i i imagine he's peaceful to source material and things I, I doubt he'll switch it up and also i'm pretty sure that needs a lot of approval from like I, I guess not the original because he has passed away larson has passed away but i imagine his family and friends would be like no do not touch this we love hamilton but don't but i don't know hamilton's so great and so is into that in in the heights maybe so we may see a little bit of that uh miranda flair but something tells me just Given Miranda's life and the premise of Tick, Tick, Boom, this is probably work that is very dear to his heart. 
probably something that got him through a hurdle or a trying time, specifically because it is about an artist not knowing if they're good enough and not knowing if they should continue and possibly finding that little spark that does allow them to persevere in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. God, this is awesome. He, he, he's made a name for himself in Hollywood and now he can do whatever he wants. I, I mm-hmm. want to do that because I really want a Jekyll and Hyde live adaptation film. To oh, that'd be great. Musical. And also redo the uh, Sweeney Todd musical. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I, as much as I like... Depp's performance is just not odd. But that is neither here nor there. Tick, tick, boom looks to be amazing, and I can't wait. I envy Lynn Moel Miranda's Miranda rights. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I envy his uh, his career because he's also doing In the Heights, which is awesome. And he's just a busy, busy man. Good for him. I, I wish him all the best. And that, that, that'll take us into first issue. I hope you don't got an issue with that. Mm-mm. It's a bird. It's a plane. Oh, no, no, no. It's just first issue. All right, folks, we're back, and we're back, and we're back. We didn't go away. We didn't go away anywhere. episode 23. Yeah, no. Well, we're back from... The bathroom. The bathroom. Full disclosure, I went to the bathroom in the middle of that little transition break because I'm fast. All right, let's get down to our first take and first issue. I believe it is you, Ian. What what we got? We're looking at the Avengers Endgame only 12 million shy of passing Avatar at the global box office. Whoa, boy. Only 12. It might happen. Million. It might happen. As you said, this was the film to do it. I think we've contractually fulfilled our obligation to mention Kevin Feige and Avengers Endgame once an episode. Yep. We'll see if it does it. Like, there's, you know... I I would wager probably within the next couple of months, maybe. I I think that's what they're trying to do because they're doing that re-release yeah so that's what they're trying to do let's get out there watch it buy if you're rich buy 500 tickets go yeah. for it do it let's have this beat avatar because avatar is not that great Narp. so with that being said we're gonna move on to our next topic and i believe it is on me the joker director says todd phillips the movie doesn't take anything from comic books boy so i have a few i don't think i have issue with this because it's practically like this movie is like a new comic book it's like a a new Mm -hmm. story that's how i feel like with this movie it's like okay like i would i would write and draw a comic book but i don't know how to draw one so i'm going to create a movie about the joker that's always been living in my head that's fine i will say it would have been nice to be like these are some things easter eggy sprinkled in here and they are from different stories I think that makes for a stronger story if it has a like 5 to 10% connection to like original source material from the Joker it would be really cool to see however it's great as an artist to be able to create your own thing within this own world because it might you know this movie may be so good that artists comic book artists and and, and, and and authors will look at this and create the Joker around this from now on this might be the new archetype for the Joker we just don't know I, I, I have mixed feelings but I think I'm, I'll fall more on the excited to see what they create side than me being like, what the material? Because I'm not that well, attached to the Joker. And the material, I think, because there's no like official Joker origin no. story. But I, I also think that what little the comic books did give us, like he falls into a vat of acid or something. We don't need that. And it, well, it, and it reads like dated. It reads as something right. of the time in which the Joker came up in. Whereas this Joker seems a little more focused on the existential dread that is brought on by society yeah, and i think that is more topical <laughs> yeah that society is the vat of toxic yeah. waste in this 
particular instance. And I, th- I think that's interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he said, Todd Phillips said, we just wrote our own version of where a guy like Joker might come from. That's what's interesting to me. And that's how many new comic books have started. Yeah. That's just, that's just like, oh, okay, this is great. How about my version of Batman now? There we go. Exactly. Yeah. It, and, and you look at the Joker, he is such a big personality, terrifying personality. I think it is interesting as an artist to ask oneself, okay, we have the end point. Mm-hmm. We know where he ends up, how he becomes, but what leads him there? How do we take a normal guy, erase the tropey vat of acid, radioactive exposure, whatever, and just ask the question, how can we believably make people see this transformation into a violent psychopath? Yeah, right. Uh, I'm eager to see it. I think it's going to do well. I think this might be a very smart decision to do that, and it keeps the genre of comic book movies fresh, new, and appealing. So mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that being said, mm-hmm. something fresh, new, and appealing potentially could be our next our next topic, Ian, what is it? Yeah, so Zoe Saldana spoke recently about how she wants Gamora to turn heel in this right. newest Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. which, you know, story-wise makes some sense. She is not the Gamora that we came to know and love over the first two Guardians films. She is that Gamora that was opposed and against or diametrically like opposite Peter Quill in Guardians 1. And and now that her mission's been complete, now that she's stopped Thanos, what are what is that Gamora's wants in needs and you know i'm interested i'm interested to see if that is what the story for the new guardians film it is. makes sense in a way because she hasn't had that growth with the guardians exactly she doesn't yeah. know she's still very much lost mm-hmm. she would be still pretty bad i would like to see her yes i like a bad gamora maybe in the next film or maybe in the film after that but eventually i would like to see her grow again and, and learn over again but i agree i think zoe zaldana may have a point in just knowing that my character arc i would like it to go a certain way sure well and i think i think that it's a solid bet that this film will focus on her growth because movie one was about quill's growth right. movie two was about Rocket's growth. True. And now we have Gamora. She's like, I, I think that this, w- like, there's a decent chance that she does turn heel because at the point in time that she's ripped into the current MCU where we are, she her main objective, objective was to get revenge on Thanos and stop Thanos from doing his plan and doing to the universe what he did to her planet. And now that that's done, who knows where, where her objectives are going to take her, what her new objectives are. She very well could be listless and that's what leads to her turning heel and becoming an antagonist but as you said we see that growth we see her having to fight whatever demons come from that lack of drive lack of not drive but you know lack of tangible objectives okay for sure yeah absolutely i i I can't wait to see where the story goes i trust james gunn in his direction and i'm sure he is all ears and listening about a different take so we're gonna move on to something that i've done a few times this comic book of the month really quick i'm gonna do a brief synopsis of this comic i'm starting it. I have not finished it yet. I think it's still an ongoing series as well. I will tell you this. I purchased it at 50 bucks. It is pricey in a huge volume form, a huge book form, but it is worth the read. Sorry. It is worth the read because the the visuals are amazing. The writing is amazing. It's an experience. It's called Saga. It's by Image Comics. And I'm sure most of you, some of you have read it. It's a phenomenon in the comic book world and it keeps growing and growing. And if you haven't, please purchase it. If you have the money, I understand it is an expensive purchase. But if you have it and you want to say, hey, I want this video game, maybe go for the comic book and support comics. So Saga is an epic space opera slash fantasy comic book series created by a writer 
writer Brian K. Vaughn and artist Fiona Staples, published monthly by Image Comics. The series is heavily, heavily influenced by Star Wars and based on ideas Vaughn conceived both as a child and as a parent. I will not give away the synopsis too much. <laughs> I want you to read it, read it, read it, read it. It is phenomenal, and I would love this to turn into maybe an animated series one day on, say, Netflix or Hulu. I think it's brilliant. All right, so we're going to go on to our next segment. I know you guys have been waiting for it to hear these suggestions, so we're going to move on to that. Boom, boom. Netflix now. All right, friends. I'm going to keep this a nice, short, brief Netflix now. We're in a little bit of a time crunch, but I did watch a very fun movie this past weekend, and I wanted to share it with you. I watched Wine Country. You know, Wine Country is a good time. Wine Country is about six women questioning their friendship and futures when they travel to Napa Valley, California to celebrate a 50th birthday. Now, this cast is stacked with some femme comedy icons. It's directed by Amy Poehler. It's starring Amy Poehler, Emily Spivy, Liz Kakowski. You've got Maya Rudolph. You've got Rachel Dratch. You've got just so many. Tina Fey makes a, a supporting role appearance. Jason Schwartzman is somewhere in there. It's just stacked. Okay, you will know pretty much every face that's on there. That being said, it's just a fun movie. I think this is one of those movies you can put on in the background. First of all, it's a great movie to drink to alone because it feels like you've got friends there drinking that bottle of wine with you. It's okay. You didn't have a lot of money. You went for the Yellowtail Shiraz. That's fine. They're, they, you can pretend that you're in Napa Valley with them drinking the wine that they don't really give a fuck about, which they make a few good bits about. It's quite funny. I think that there are a few times where it owns its just okay title. Like, I really wanted this movie to be excellent because there are so many iconic people in it. But at times it seemed a little conflicted. Like, there was one scene in particular where they're, they almost sort of poke fun at the quote-unquote PC culture that I would argue a lot of them helped to cultivate and in our media nowadays. All in all, I would say this is, film is like a six and a half, seven max out of ten. Mm. But it's a good time. You get to watch some femme comedians flex their their funny muscles, and they they all do very well. There are quite a few moments of genuine laughter to be had. I guess I guess I just expected more, especially with a cast so stacked. With Amy Poehler directing, she is a comedy genius. I I would recommend it. There's other stuff that's out there. Something I would recommend more that is in a completely different vein. The second season just dropped earlier this month is this weird, freaky little German television show called Dark. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> it is atmospheric. It's got... It, and what's great is if you are if you are like, oh, but I don't do scary stuff. I can't do the scary stuff. It's okay. It's just really atmospheric and really eerie. There's nothing that necessarily, aside from one or two moments, makes it feel like a genuine horror film. It is just truly a good mystery about these systematic disappearances of children in this small forested German town set in modern day. It's not like Hansel and Gretel times or anything, but it's like modern day Germany and these kids keep disappearing and there's definitely something at work there. There's a little timey-wimey stuff. There's a little weird, possibly supernatural stuff happening. And so I would say watch Wine Country if you need to unwind and you just like want to drink a bottle of wine and you want to pretend to have company because you canceled all your plans because you're socially anxious and it's really your fault you're drinking the wine alone but you don't want to admit it so you put on other people drinking wine perfect wine country you want a genuinely engaging story with some great performances that makes
makes you like question and put pieces together and makes you think and work and and at the same time it is it is gripping and it's enthralling and you just get so hyped that you almost jump at the television you got to watch dark okay <laughs> so that's my nice little as they once said brevity is the soul of wit that's my netflix now bbs go check it out go tell me what you think was i right about wine country am i an asshole is it like the greatest comedy film to come onto netflix's screen this summer you tell me you tweet me damn it because no one fucking tweets me anything oh god yes okay why am i learning how to use this social media platform if we won't engage (sighs) wine country and dark go check it yo check it check it check it Well, that's all she wrote. Ladies and gentlemen, we are done with this episode, and we enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, yep. I mean, I mean, that's pretty much all you can do. There's really, there's no interactivity at this point, unless you want to, like, actually email us some ideas and stuff. Right. We'd love to we hear love them. To do it. If you want us to try a segment, if there's something we haven't watched, you need to hit us up hit on us any up. of our social media accounts. You can find us across them all. Ben, where, where can the people find you? They can find me at btjenkins91 on Twitter and Benjamin Timothy Jenkins on Facebook. Ian, where can people find you? My friends, you can find me on Twitter at babygotknack. You can find me on Facebook as Ian Muntiner. Or you can find Too Many Flicks across all social media platforms with the numeral two at the front, many, and then flicks with an X at the end. You can even email us, as I just said, at toomanyflicks.chicago at gmail.com. We want to hear your ideas. We want to hear your feedback. We want to know what we can do better so that you want to share it with your friends so it's not like you're just you're not only recommending us to your enemies you know like Uh, we're we're a great form of torture but we also like to think that we can be some entertainment as well yeah Uh, as well and educational sometimes sometimes yeah like 15 percent. anyway guys thank you so much and remember we're too many flicks and we watch all the flicks so that you don't have to holla back